Welcome to the Transform Your Wealth and Health podcast, where experts in wealth, health, and fitness help transform your life. Here's your host, Andy Arder. He was a successful seven-figure bootstrapper, a top podcaster, international speaker, and part-time soul fighter. Today's guest is Ray Blakeney. Ray, how are we doing? We're doing good, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for being on the show, Ray. One of the things that you told me when we were setting this up is that you was going to be in Mexico. And I thought, wow, that's exotic. This time of year must be fantastic weather. It is. It is. I actually live up in the mountains of Mexico. So when most people come to Mexico, myself included, when I moved here, I thought Mexico was all beaches. Like, you know, I thought there was nothing in Mexico but beaches. No, most of the Mexicans actually live in the mountains. I actually like that now. I have, what, 25 degree weather all year round, sunny, wow. barely rains, no humidity. It's wonderful. Yeah, we, we get that all the time in England, yeah. <laughs> it's known for that in the UK, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't let anybody tell you that and believe it. Let me <laughs> so I think we've got about the next four or five days, potentially, it's going to rain every day. So um, yeah, just think of me when you're there in the mountains with your cool 25 degrees, Ray. I'll try. I'll try. I'll be having lunch on my patio right after we get off this call. Oh, you're fantastic. What a guy. <laughs> so, Ray, I wondered if you'd take us back a little bit before you become as, as successful as you are. What was your background? What was the family doing? And how did you end up with a American and Mexico lifestyle? Yeah, so my background is a little interesting. So when people ask me where I'm from, that's actually a very complicated question. Like most people have a quick answer. Mine's a lot more complicated. So where I'm from is, here's the quick answer. I was born in the Philippines. I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. My dad's from the United States, but grew up in Zimbabwe. It was called Rhodesia back then. Um, and I've been living in Mexico for the last 12 years. So that's kind of where I'm from. My first language is actually Turkish, if you want to, if, if you believe it. Uh, so the English is my third language, though I can fake it pretty well. And... <laughs> I don't really consider myself from any location. So that's kind of my background. I've been all over the world. So ending up in Mexico wasn't much of a jump for me. Um, I actually feel more comfortable in countries that are not the United States. That's not a political statement. It simply means that I sound American, right? When I speak yeah. English. So everybody assumes I'm American. So they would be, when I was in the US, they'd be making all these cultural references about, oh yeah, this TV show, or remember that show from like 10 years ago? I had no idea what they were talking about. I sound American, but I'm like, I wasn't in the U.S. 10 years ago. I have no idea what that is. So I kind of felt really out of place. But when I live in other countries, nobody expects me to understand the culture. Here in Mexico, you know, nobody will say, hey, Ray, remember that show? But in Mexico 30 years ago, nobody says that because they know I wasn't in Mexico 30 years ago. So I find myself much more comfortable being in countries where they don't expect me to understand what's going on. Okay. So uh, you're, you're a mystery guy then, really. You've been here, there, and everywhere doing lots of different things. You sure you're not in the military, though? You're not a spy or something like that, are you? Really? People have said it just because the way I look is my dad's a blonde, blue-eyed, six-foot-two guy from the you know, Boston Irish background. My mom's a five-foot-one Filipino lady. I look like I could be either Latino, Southeast Asian, or even fit in certain parts of the Middle East. So all my friends say you were made for the CIA. Um, except that, you know, I, if somebody starts shooting at me, I'd start running away really, really quickly. So the whole spy game, not really my thing. Getcha. Okay, well, you've done some really interesting and cool things. I want to touch on the sword fighting a little bit later. <laughs> but tell us how you got to be successful in your entrepreneurial businesses. Sounds, yes. I'll start with a caveat that I don't consider myself a success yet, but I think most entrepreneurs you talk to, there's always that next level to get up to, right? That's right. Um, yeah. So... I still feel like a beginner every single day. But how I got here was 
I wish I could say I planned it. You know, some people say, yeah, I know I was going to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. And I planned, you know, I, I made these businesses with this long 10-year plan and I reached my goals. No, I, that's not what happened to me. Um, so as a kid, I wanted to be a computer geek. So that's what I did when I went and studied in college. I went and studied computer programming. Time was good. So, you know, I graduated in about 2000. That was the Silicon Valley boom. And so I was easily able to get a job as a programmer that paid really well. And I did that for about five or six years. Then one day I saw a commercial on TV that was for the U.S. Navy. And again, I had no intention of joining the Navy. Same thing as the CIA. You start shooting at me, I'm running the other way as fast as physically possible. But they had this really good quote, which was, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? And I remember sitting there at the time thinking, look, I'm sitting in my condo. I have a car sitting outside and I get paid well and I go to a cube every day. What's next in life? Well, I could buy a bigger car, a bigger condo, and I go and sit in a cube every day. And I'm like, yeah, nobody's going to read that book. I wouldn't read that book. And I come from a family that has a really interesting history. My great-grandfather was in China during the Boxer Revolution. He was a Harvard professor, and he was doing, a, I think, a year or two of teaching over in Peking at the time. So they had to run away during the Maoist Revolution. My, my grandfather, I did find out, was a CIA spy, though we didn't know it, in African Harare. Um, while he but while he was also the first minister of the first all black church while he was there, my dad and mother were in Turkey while two through two military coups, their office actually they were running a publishing house, but even then their office got bombed twice by terrorists. And my life was me sitting in a cube in Ohio at the time, and nobody would ever read about that. So I'm like, I have to make a change. So that's I quit everything and I joined a volunteer organization called the Peace Corps for two years, which they paid me a hundred dollars a month. Um, to go and volunteer in southern Mexico. I met my wife at the time, and at the, she kind of came up with this idea of, hey, uh, she was a, she's a Spanish teacher. I'd love to launch a school one day. I'm like, eh, that sounds fun. Um, you know, we're young. We don't have kids yet. Let's give it a shot. That's how I got into entrepreneurship. So, you know, there's no big plan or anything behind it. It was just that I wanted to live a more interesting life, and I met a woman who wanted to start a business, and that was 12 or 13 years ago now. And I've started multiple, multiple businesses since then. I love it. Uh, it's my sport. Well, you've certainly done well, Ray. You've been successful. But what kind of goals in life have you got that drive you on? Like everything else, it's not one overarching goal. There are multiple steps that in life mm -hmm. that I'd like to achieve. So the first one, it sounds callous when I say it, and a lot of people take it that way until you kind of understand the thing behind it. I want to have enough money that I don't have to worry about money anymore. Now, that's not to say I, you look at me, I, you would not tell that I run businesses, right? I drive a Hyundai. I mean, you know, I have nothing fancy. Our, our house isn't big. You know, there's, there's nothing about that. It's not about the, the wealth or the showing of wealth. It's just as, as a kid, I always felt like the poorest kid in my school. I went to an international school and most of my classmates, their parents were heads of companies and all the rest of it. Um, we weren't poor, but I felt it. And the biggest stress in my life since then has always been money, even though I've done okay. I mean, as a computer engineer, you're not poor either, but I've always been stressed out about money. And the reason I want to have a certain, you know, about $10 million in the bank is because I don't want to have that worry anymore. Um, I just, I'm not going to spend it, but then it's just one big stress off your back. A story I always tell about that is, for example, our, you know, our car broke down, I don't know, about a year ago. Our, and I, my car broke down in the U.S. And I remember having to put that on my credit card. It was a $500, $1,000 repair. I don't remember. But I had to put it on my credit card and pay it off over the next three months. Our car broke down here. 
It was a thousand dollars. I'm like, no problem. We paid for it and we bought another car just to be safe. Again, a Hyundai, not a fan, not a fancy car, but we we were able to do this kind of thing. So the stress was so much less than that smaller repair that I had in the United States, which my car was in the shop for a few days. I was like, how am I going to pay this off? I don't ever want to go through that again. So that's my short-term goal. My long-term goal is my wife and I would like to open a charitable organization to help um, in developing countries, specifically Mexico and the Philippines, where we have connections, help them start online businesses that make at least $500 to $1,000 a month. It sounds like nothing, but in those countries, that's middle upper class to wealthy. So we can change a lot of lives that way. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. We've had a guy on the show that wrote a book about the first 100 million pounds that he made. And he does a lot of stuff for, for charity in that way, too. So, um, yeah, I can understand that, you know. Yeah, he, he likes to help out and it makes him feel great that he can help people that, that need their help. And, and the people, they actually loan them money and they pay the money back. But, oh, yeah. of course, you know, they're, they're not harsh on them. The terms are interest-free. But, you know, they want them to be good investors and good entrepreneurs so that they, they pay back. So that's a great, great thing, Ray. I love that. But you were saying something unusual to me just just before we started recording, uh, and you were saying about, and you just touched on it there too, about differences in lifestyle between Mexico and the US, and mm-hmm. what you can actually achieve in Mexico compared. So touch on that for us, Ray. Great question. And this is something I actually recommend in a lot of the talks I give at conferences when people who are looking to start a business come up to me and they ask for what is... They're kind of stuck in that position, right, where they have a side business, but it's usually, let's call it a side hustle. That's kind of the trendy term right now. So you're working from nine to five, and then you spend an hour, and it's making you maybe a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. Wherever you are, whether you're in the UK or in the United States, that's not enough money to quit your job, right? If you made a thousand pounds a month and lived in London, yeah, you're not quitting your job anytime soon. That's, you know, that might not even cover the rent of your flat. What would make that money last is moving to a country that's cheaper. And it doesn't have to be Mexico or the parts of the world I'm in. I usually like Latin America because most of my clients and my businesses are in the U.S. and it's this time zone. But if you move to Mexico, to Colombia, to Argentina, suddenly that $1,000 took you from I can't pay the rent to I'm middle upper class. You're renting a nice apartment in a nice part of town. You might have a cleaning person come by every day. You're eating out whenever you want. And you can focus 100% on that business that was just a side hustle. You've already proven it works, right? Because you're making 1000 a month. It just can't grow anymore because you're spending 40 hours working for somebody else, helping them make more money. So if you're in a position to do it, move to a place that's cheaper and you don't have to suffer. I, was, I said, I'm here in Mexico. I, I have Netflix. I have high-speed internet. I have Costco. It works for me. I have a lot of friends who move to Bali. Hey, you want to eat tropical fruit and go to the beach every day? Bali, $1,000 a month in Bali, you'll live like a king. Um, Europe, there are places as well. I know a lot of people go to Portugal. Um, I know a lot of people in the UK as well really enjoy the time. Go to Portugal. It's cheaper. Um, if you go to the right places, kind of get out of Lisbon and kind of go to the smaller fishing villages, and you can build your business there as well. So that's what I would recommend. So you're also a podcaster, and I noticed you got your podcast to number one in some of the categories. Yeah. And you did really, really well. So what was your podcasting about, and uh, how did you get to the number one? Sure. So let me... Put the little backstory, that wasn't my first podcast, and the first two I did were bombs. I mean, literally, they didn't go anywhere. So it wasn't that, hey, I just launched a podcast and it worked. Um, this recent podcast that I did, I actually ran as an experiment. I recorded 170 episodes in two weeks for this podcast. Wow. Yes. 
Um, now, this, now, it sounds impressive until I give you a little bit more of a caveat. The episodes are one to, one to four minutes long, and it's only me. So what I did was I essentially spent a few – it's a Spanish learning podcast, and now I'm not a teacher. I approach it as a student. So what I went out there is and I kind of got our methodology because I own an online language school. So I took a methodology, and I put it into text form. I spent two days doing that, and then I just recorded the text. Not verbatim, kind of, because, you know, if you just read text, it sounds real boring. I kind of started adding yeah. my own cultural anecdotes to it. And we broke it up into about 170 episodes. My wife and I rented a house by a lake in the middle of nowhere with no internet. So there were no distractions. And I would just spend about five or six hours a day just recording episodes for about two weeks. We sent it out to an editor. Um, a little hack trick for anybody who wants to try something like this. Don't tell the editor it's a podcast. That costs a lot more money. I asked to edit some audios. And audio editing is a lot cheaper. So essentially, he went and edited 170 audios for me for $500. And suddenly, I had 170 episodes for a podcast. We released it. I released an episode every single day, which iTunes loves. Um, we got reviews. And I do, have, I do have a slight advantage in that you know I own a language school with a mailing list of about 70,000 people. So I was able to email them and get that a matters. whole bunch of listeners on day one. I also own a social network. I mean, a social network for teachers with about 200,000 people on it. And I published that it there. Again. Exactly. So I did have an audience. Uh, I'm not famous, but I did have an audience. Uh, that part might not be, you know, something others can replicate quite as easily. Within a week, we were number one in language learning in Canada, number two in the UK. So if anybody's listening to this in the UK, come on, we need to get those a few extra listeners and reviews on there. It's called the Live Lingua Podcast. Number three in Canada. And I think the US, we kind of topped out at 11. I think the US is a much more competitive space. So we're still trying to get into the top 10 there. Wow, so really good though, Ray. Uh, but I noticed that, like, like you said, Ray, those lists are quite reasonable. How did you get the list so big? I've been running these businesses for about 13 years now. Um, for example, my number one business, LiveLingua.com, we're one of the top three language schools in the world and we're the only one that was started without VC money. Our two biggest competitors have $10 million and $20 million in money behind them. Um, and we're the only ones who are able to compete with them because one, we do a great job. And two, we've been around for a long time. So I've, this is not a list I've built up. If you're, anybody's looking for hacks on how to build a list, um, I can't tell you. I have, I have a joke. Somebody else, somebody, people have asked me why I don't write a book about, you know, entrepreneurship. And my answer is because my book would be titled How to Build a Seven-Figure Business in 10 Years. And nobody would buy it because nobody wants to hear the story of how somebody worked for years to build their business. They want to know how to build a business in 30 days, six months, a year. And I can't help you with that. I can, I've built multiple seven-figure businesses. It takes me years every single time. Um, it's yeah. not. I've never done it in a month. Okay. Well, that's interesting in itself. So do you have lots of different techniques and strategies that you use? And do you base them on long-term? Or is that just the way it's worked out? I actually have generally a formula I use when I'm building the businesses. Um, the formula kind of gets thrown out of whack after year one, year two, because each business is different. I don't necessarily stick into the same niche. And the reason why it takes a long time is because I bootstrap businesses. Um, I, if you want a business to grow more quickly, generally that involves throwing money at it or getting investors or you know getting out of bank loan. And it's simply not the way that I'm looking to build businesses because it doesn't fit into my lifestyle. My wife and I, before we had our child in January, we would travel three months out of the year. And we hope to do that again once COVID's over and once our child is old enough. But you know, if I had investors or a bank breathing down my throat, I couldn't do that, right? Yeah. So I, it's just building those businesses does not fit into my lifestyle. The kind of businesses I want to build, you know, 
you get one client the first month, two or three the next month. It's compounding interest. You know, it's it's the reason people invest in the stock market. You know, if I if I get one this month, two next month, three the month after that, doesn't sound very sexy, but for five years you'll have two, three thousand people paying you a hundred dollars a month. And for most people, that's hey, if I could tell you pretty confidently that you could be making six figures in two years by working, you know, you have to work at it, but it's not going to be overnight. Um, most people would be happy with it. Unfortunately, most people would not be willing to put in that work. Mm, that's true. Do you think you make money from the email lists as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we have a pretty solid email automation sequence that we've built in there, upsells, downsells, all of that. So we do that. Um, keeps people cold. I think that what's the study out there? Like, you know, most people only about 10 to 20% of your clients will buy from you in the first month after they heard of you. And you're, if you're not following up with them afterwards, you're losing up to potentially 80% of your sales. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. So a question I ask a lot of people, Ray, if you were starting again, now that you know so much, what would you do differently? <laughs> I'll put in the caveat that I still, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. So, you know, it's kind of yeah. the whole, I feel dumber every single day instead of feeling smarter every single day. Um, the thing that I would do differently is I would hire help faster. Um, in the beginning, you kind of a lot of, especially solopreneurs, we go into this, nobody can do it as well as I can mentality, right? So I don't want to hire somebody to answer emails because nobody will answer them as well as me. Um, I don't know. Marketing, nobody will make those videos as well as I will. Nobody will record the podcast as well as I will. But if you think about it objectively, there are, what, 8 billion people on the planet right now? There is, out of all those 8 billion, do you really think there's not a single person who can do what you're doing better? I would bet pretty good money that that's not the case. <laughs> you know, there are probably at least 5 or 10 people out of 8 billion that can probably do what you're doing better than you can. A lot of them probably live in parts of the world that are cheaper than you, Philippines, India, no matter what, right? You can find, probably find somebody who can do certain parts of your job better than you. And the key there is to hire people to do parts you hate. I do not enjoy doing customer service. That's always my first hire in any new company I do. Um, and I have found that, you know, I was wrong. There are plenty of people out there who can do customer service much better than I can, even though it, when, my, when we hired the first time, I thought that I was a rock star. I'm not. Um, so that's what I would do if I was starting off again. I would hire more quickly for certain positions. Interesting, Ray. Well, I'll tell you something else that's interesting. And you said that you like to sword fight. Now, come on. <laughs> how do you go around sword fighting? Is this just something you, you do in the street? You're walking down the road and you, you just pull your sword out? and Sadly, no. I wish I wish that was the case. You know, <laughs> like this was a Mexican thing. You know, I know, no. Stuff. It's actually a Japanese thing. So I've been practicing uh, Japanese martial art called kendo for whoo, going on about 20 years now. Um, I actually competed on the uh, on a national level in the United States. It's a competitive sport. Outside of Japan, most people haven't heard of it, but in Japan, it's as common as playing basketball in high school. Um, so it's the way it was kind of based off the samurai sword fighting style. It's kind of Japanese fencing, but don't think European fencing. It's a lot more full contact than that. Um, we feel if you know anybody's listening, Google it. Uh, you know you'll see the armor the. The geek side of me will tell you the fighting of the Jedis in Star Wars was based off of Kendo. You know, the, the creator saw that in Japan and he brought over Kendo Masters to, to choreograph the fight in the Star Wars movies. Wow, I think we know it over here. I mean, it seems to be, you know, relatively well known. I know, I know the stuff. They wear the, uh, like the, the metal mesh guards. And you got it. You, most people yeah. have never even heard of it before. But yeah, no, there's very active clubs over there in the UK and 
UK actually does very well on the national scene. Um, there's some people who I think there's a lot of people in the UK who train the national team who actually study, you know, studied their masters and lived in Japan for 20 years. Then they came back and they started teaching at the UK. So it's a very, very solid program in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Okay. So does that hurt? I've got to ask because I mean, when you get a body shot with that, is the padding complete or no. does it actually still bruise underneath? Um, it hurts more when you're sparring with beginners than it does when you're sparring with advanced people. Because advanced people, they can pull it if they've hit. You know, if they're hitting you, they actually control the hit a lot better. Or if they miss the padding, because unfortunately, you don't always get hit on the padding, um, and they can control it. The problem is with beginners. And myself included, when I was, you know, in that in that stage, we think that the harder we swing, the faster we are. And in no martial art, I mean, boxers will tell you it's all about relaxing, right? It's actually about relaxing. But that way, beginners, wow, and they miss their target all the time. They miss the pads, which is where you're supposed to get hit to get points. No, I've had welts that my wife looks at me and it looks like the whole right side of my like chest and my, you know, the stomach are just black and blue because they keep missing where they're trying to hit. <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, it's the it, we won't break bones. But you will come away with some pretty big welts and bruises if you do it wrong. Okay. Well, remind me not to do that, Ray. Uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to stay safe. I'll stick to the podcasting. <laughs> and listen, we're getting towards the end of the show now. So I'd like you to, if you can, let us know how people can get in touch with you and uh, what projects you've got at the moment. If they're interested more in what you do, they can contact you and maybe get involved in those too. Awesome. Yeah. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is I actually just recently put up a personal page. So rayblakeney.com, R-A-Y-B-L-A-K-N-E-Y.com. It's a one-page site. It just has a contact us form on it and a little bit of information about me. Um, that would be the easiest way for you to get in touch with me directly. And if you're looking for an indirect way, you can go to my primary business, livelingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. And you can Use the contact us form there. It'll go to the staff, but they'll pass it on to me. And finally, my newest project is a project called podcasthawk.com. The website's up. We're launching in January. Um, so if you go to the contact us page there, that will come directly to me. Uh, Podcast Hawk is a SaaS product that I'm building, which will automate outreach to podcasts to get on them as a guest. So you all you have to do is kind of, we have a big search engine. We have every podcast that exists in iTunes, every episode, every review. So you can go in there and say, hey, I want to appear on business podcast with at least 15 episodes that have the word pink umbrellas in the description of one of their episodes because I'm selling pink umbrellas. You know, give, give you a whole list of everybody who's there. We help you. We walk you through creating a, you know, a quick email sequence. You hit save. And then depending on your plan, it'll outreach 25, 50 or 100 of those people every single day. And we forward you all the replies. So it's like booking on autopilot. So you pretty much set it and depending on how big your list is, it, it could go for six months of outreach and all you have to do is sit back and wait for the interviews to come in. Oh, that's incredibly clever, Ray. Well, I wish you all the luck with that. And listen, thanks for being on the show. You're an incredibly interesting guy. I've got lots of projects <laughs> on the go and I wish you all the success for the future. Andy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And if you want to contact me, I'm Andy Arter and it's Transform Your Wealth and Health at gmail.com.